Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Today our guest is once again Melvin Rhodes, who has been on here four times before, but not for about six months. Melvin is a historian, author, analyst, and writer. And he currently has his own blog, Mel Rhodes Place, World News That Matters, that I really enjoy reading. We will have his URL in the notes with this podcast. So welcome again, Melvin, to The Cubic Report. Thank you. Good to be here again. Melvin is English, and we focus on subjects that relate to the United Kingdom. We have spoken about subjects that have involved a lot of public pageantry in the past year. Now, we haven't spoken with Melvin since in this calendar year of 2023, but a lot had happened in the year before. Queen's 70th Jubilee, that was, I believe, our first podcast together. And then the new prime minister that came, Boris Johnson, and then Liz Truss, and then the death of Queen Elizabeth. We had a podcast on that subject. So we've spoken about a lot of big international events that involve the United Kingdom. But today we would like to talk about yet another event that took place in less than two weeks ago. And this was a coronation of King Charles III. Now, the Queen had a long 70-year reign the longest in British history. We grew up with her. All my life, all I've known is Queen Elizabeth. But we also grew up with Prince Charles, who was always the person waiting, and he got older and older, and people were wondering, is the Queen going to even outlive him? But he did indeed become the King of England. I viewed some of the events early on May 6th, the day of the coronation. A lot of people watched, but it was less than those who watched his mother's funeral several months before. There has always been worldwide interest in the monarchical events in the United Kingdom, unlike any other monarchy in the world. There's lots of history, tradition, and also a connection with biblical monarchy. I watched with fascination as events in Westminster Abbey opened with the reading of scripture. Even Rishi Shunak, a Hindu, the current prime minister, read from the New Testament. This was very surprising to me since at his becoming prime minister, he wanted readings from Hindu writings. But also what fascinated me was all the bands, horses, uniform, the pageantry was unequaled. It was all over the world and multiple millions of people watched. So that's my introduction here. Uh, also I might mention before I get to Melvin mm -hmm. is that Melvin wrote about this in his blog. As I was reading his blog, which I've read several times and read it out loud to my wife this morning, we thought, wow, what a story. Uh, what an amazing, what an amazing description of uh, the monarchy and all it portends for the United Kingdom. Melvin, I'd like to know your reaction and ask you to give comments about the events of the coronation that took place less than two weeks ago. Oh, well, I, I'm actually uh, 72. And this coronation was the first coronation I've actually seen because the previous one, the coronation took place when I was just two. So it was all a revelation to me. And I found it a very inspiring ceremony. A lot of Bible was in it. And there's a lot in there, symbolism and everything, which they don't even know the origin of. As far as they know, this is the same coronation service that goes back to 1066, which is the most important year 
in English history. It's the year when William the Conqueror conquered England. It's the year when England was conquered by William the Conqueror, and uh, he had a coronation in there. Uh, this one with King Charles is the 40th coronation, and each one is basically the same. They've added some music, like Zadok the Priest by Handel uh, was added in the 18th century, but most of it goes back a thousand years. It's even possible, and indeed quite likely, that some of it goes back to the old Anglo-Saxon kingdom, which existed before William the Conqueror came. And it's possible that some of its origins are in the Celtic Church, which was a predecessor of the Roman Catholic Church in England. Uh, the Celtic Church existed as one of the earliest churches in recorded time. So that gives you a bit of background. The coronation of King Charles you know, was very impressive, but I still think people are not warming to him as they did to his mother. That might be because his mother was a young girl, really, 25, when she took the throne in 1952. Um, but, it, you know, I think it's also because Prince Charles is not liked by some people because of um, what happened with his wife, Diana, uh, and everything around that. And, you know, to a certain extent, people have forgiven him for that. But I think there's always uh, some reminders there. Uh, the interest was not as great this time as it was last time. I think he is mostly liked. I mean, most people like him. But I think there's an element that still hasn't forgiven him for what happened to Diana. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he was in an adulterous relationship with Camilla for years. So, again, it's a little bit difficult to accept them, I think, on the part of some people. I think uh, if he continues, as he has done the last eight months, uh, if he continues to operate the same way, I would think he will restore the respect to the monarchy and uh, the affection of the people. But uh, he's got a tough time ahead. There was something about uh, Queen Elizabeth that was very forthright in her valuing and respecting the monarchy. And there was a certain sweetness about her, too, that was the beauty of femininity and masculinity at the same time. Uh, she, she truly was a great monarch, and I, nobody disputes that. Charles probably had too much time as prince <laughs> to get himself into trouble as people got to know him. And he did not have the likability. Plus, he got involved with climate change discussions and things that monarchs are not supposed to get involved in or technically aren't supposed to be involved in. And I think that that hurt his, his standing. But like you say, now that he's become king, uh, people move on and, and say, well, he's our king right now, and uh, we'll respect him for the role that he holds for the time that he will hold it. That's right, yes, that sums it up. Well, my wife and I were both very impressed because I read aloud your, your blog to her this morning, you know, before the podcast. And she said, that is phenomenal. I mean, what uh, Melvin Rhodes said, but I, I thought it might be good if you could cover some of the uh, main points that people may not realize about the coronation. It's not just any old coronation, and it's not just uh, another king. There's something unique and special about it that even very liberal newspapers like the Washington Post have said, what's this big deal about the 
British monarchy. People can't seem to put their finger on it. Maybe you could elucidate that for us. Well, there may be many reasons. England's had a monarchy, as long as anybody can remember, going way back. It was a republic for 10 years or 11 years in 1649 to 1660. But the republic ended up as a dictatorship under Oliver Cromwell. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went to excess in some things. For example, Christmas was banned. And uh, some other things were banned as well, which didn't make him very popular. So after he died, people wanted the monarchy back. And they brought back the son of the previous monarch, The previous monarch was Charles I, who famously lost his head. Uh, He was uh, beheaded in 1649. Mm -hmm. And when Charles II came back in 1660, he was very immoral. But people were willing to put up with that because they remembered the Republic. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we have Charles III. I I would think that most schoolchildren in England have heard of Charles I and Charles II. That much will have been covered in history. And now they've got Charles III, so it's going to be interesting to see how he works out. Now, one thing I think that makes the British monarchy stand out is that a lot of the ceremony in the coronation service dates back to uh, King Solomon in ancient Israel, Mm -hmm. 3,000 years. Now, nobody quite knows how... It was passed into uh, the Christian service that you've got today. But I think some of the respect does go back a long way. You know, and various monarchs have done good works and been very good. But of course, there have been some that have been bad. We won't go into that. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I thought it was just very, very interesting, too, uh, as I watched the uh, events, which I think I might have commented on, as to how religious it was. For all the things we've been hearing about the United Kingdom, churches are on a decline, very big decline. The Church of England is virtually irrelevant. And yet, here in this coronation, everything was held up. The archbishop uh, was there. The coronation was done to serve God. Rishi made statements submissive to a great God. It all looks so ideal. It looks so wonderful. And yet, in real life, it's just not that. And in your blog, you write about how the monarchy in Britain embodies both religion and the nation. And it seems to be a reminder of perhaps a greater thought about what a nation ought to be at a time when family and history and Everything is being denigrated very, very quickly. And I I would like to have some commentary on this, if we could, uh, Melvin. Well, I think one thing is the monarchy, and this is a negative about the monarchy, the monarchy has enabled the British to feel a lot more uh, important in the world uh, than they otherwise would be. So, for example, when Queen Elizabeth ascended the throne, there were roughly 70 different colonies that Britain had at that time. Britain in 1952 was bigger than the United States in that sense. So it was a very important country. And gradually over the last 70 years, and particularly the 50s and 60s, they gave independence to all those different countries. But of course, now they have the Commonwealth. 
And I think in the minds of many people, it's the same thing. The empire, the Commonwealth, uh, in some ways it's better because now we're all friends. Mm -hmm. But they don't realize how much Britain has been diminished in the last 70 years in so many different ways. You could see this in the area of defense, for example. Uh, in uh, 1952, I believe there were 700,000 people in the British military. Now it's less than 100,000. You know, the country is a lot poorer because of its, its presence has been diminished by all of this. Well, it really has, uh, obviously, on the books, looks like a much smaller country and less relevant. And yet, Britain is a nuclear power. The United Kingdom is still among the top nations of the world. It's amazing how small it is, and yet what control and influence it has. I have worked in former British colonies in Africa in particular, and have gone to Sri Lanka and India, and still see an English legacy that is just absolutely unexplainable. First of all, in the language that is spoken universally around the world, in India, Sri Lanka, and the places where I worked in, in Africa. In fact, I feel like the greatest tool of evangelism has been the fact that people speak English. And you can speak to people in a small village who have somebody who understands English and uh, people still look upon it as an official language. Plus, their legal systems are based upon British common law. Uh, we had a case that we had to work with and we talked to one of the lawyers and judges and explained the whole concept of, of the uh, system of law being based on British common law. So the power is still there, even though it may not be the empire, it's still the Commonwealth. But events of the last couple of years societally have really dug into that and have corroded even that ability. And the question is, is that where will this all lead? Well, I think the Commonwealth will survive for a while, at least. And there may be a self-interest in the, the, the different nations that constitute the Commonwealth. Uh, they have educational opportunities in Britain that they otherwise would not have. The king as the head of the Commonwealth, puts pressure on all these nations to stay within the limits of their constitutions, uh, you know, to be democratic. Not all of them are, but most of them do give lip service to democracy. And I think it was Newsweek magazine that 20 years ago, on the Queen's 50th anniversary, said that she had done more than any other figure in the world to promote democracy, because Every Commonwealth country is supposed to be a democracy. So I suppose that's a good thing. But I think at some point there will be a rift between the nations of the Commonwealth, those that are, uh, to use a term, populated by people of color, probably break with uh, the Commonwealth because over the issue of slavery, for example, which Charles is not handling very well. So that is something that we have to look for. Well, how, how is that? Uh, can you explain that? Well, when there were a lot of demonstrations uh, for reparations shortly after he became king, he did say that there should be an investigation into slavery. Well, you know, if anybody knows the history, they would know that the British record on slavery was a fairly good one in that Britain was the first major power to abolish slavery. And secondly, Britain set up the West Africa Squadron, 
which when which the Royal Navy patrolled along the coast of West Africa and stopped the ships of all nations and freed the slaves. Mm -hmm. And I've never heard that mentioned on uh, any statement made by anybody on television. They just want money, you know, reparations. It's also a fact that roughly a million white people were held as slaves at the same time. Mm -hmm. But that's not mentioned either. Well, there's just a lot that mentioned about slavery, even how they got to be slaves and who sold them into slavery and the business. I mean, I worked in one area in Malawi, uh, on Lake Malawi, which is very Arabic right now because uh, Arabic roots and very Muslim. And uh, where we held our uh, Feast of Tabernacles on Sabbath, the day before would be observed with mosques all around us with uh, the day of worship. But the reason all those Arabs were there near Lake Malawi is that going back hundreds of years or a few hundred years, they were the merchants who handled the slavers, the wholesale slaves that were delivered to them and uh, sold them uh, to the ships that were coming in from the Netherlands, from the United Kingdom, from you know all over the world that bought these slaves as commodities. People don't realize that a lot of people hold responsibility for these inhumane injustices. That's right. I must commend the president of Ghana, and Ghana is a Commonwealth country, but in 2007, on the 200th anniversary of uh, the abolition of the slave trade, he apologized for the fact that Ghanaians had been involved in this trade, that the leaders in Ghana had actually sold their people uh, into slavery. So they cashed in on it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that that's to be commended because very few people point that out. Mm -hmm. Right. And and uh, the hypocrisy of just uh, taking one side and glorifying it is just rewriting history. Uh, Melvin, there's, I would like to just read a little bit here from your blog because it is something that uh, really struck me. Talking about the coronation makes two statements <clears throat> of great importance for today's world about the place of religion in public life and the importance and meaning of the nation. Uh, you go further to say that both religion and nation are currently opposed, scorned, and vilified by the dominant progressive elites of Western culture. Many such people also oppose the monarchy, viewing it as anachronism, redolent of hereditary privilege that has no place in the modern democracy. Throughout the West, though, there is now an all-out assault on the very idea of the nation along with its inherited culture. This is fueled by a determination to impose supposedly universal values that will usher in the unity of mankind. And this is the paragraph that really struck me. The onslaught involves an attempt to dismember the traditional nuclear family, vilify white society, normative sexuality in men, and hijack education and replace knowledge and rationality with propaganda and the suppression of dissent. At the core of this agenda, whose echoes can also be heard in the anti-government protests that have been rocking Israel, lies the aim of exiling religion from the public square. So I, I feel like you wrote that so well about, you know, we talk about religion, we talk about embodiment of religion, but boy, if, if you just uh, uh, bring up religion in, in a way biblical religion, let's put it that way, it's, it's opposed, while publicly it might be extolled as a virtue, down in the day-to-day, -day, it's being expunged. 
that segment was actually a quote from Melanie Phillips, who's a conservative British-born Jew. Well, she lives in Britain, spends a lot of time in Israel, too. She wrote that. And I think, again, if you project yourself, say, 20 years, and William becomes king, by that time, England will again be a very different place. Mm. I mean, you look back at the Queen's coronation, and everybody there was white. The whole church was composed of white, white people. This coronation, after 70 years in between, uh, is much more diverse. The next one will be more diverse again. And there'll come a point, I think, where the monarchy will have trouble because of that. You see, Charles has always the role of king. For a thousand years, the king has been the head of the Anglo-Saxon Celtic peoples. I wonder if the monarchy can be extended to embrace all these other peoples who are coming into the country, like a lot of Somalians and Albanians, Eritreans, and so on. How can they possibly feel the same for the monarchy as the British people do? Because they've never lived under it. They like England because it, you know they're able to get more money, but I don't think uh, their loyalty would extend that far. Well, that's going to be Charles's big challenge. I don't think it's going to be an easy one, but he's going to have to deal with that. And the more he compromises with the demands from those who advocate greater diversity, the more the English people themselves could be alienated. And the throne has always been the symbol of the English people, you know, and also their religion. You know, people forget that four or 500 years ago when the Reformation took place, nations in Europe divided. They were all Catholic before that, nations in Western Europe. They were all Catholic before that. But then with the Reformation, some became Protestant and some remained as Catholics. Usually it was the whole country that opted for Protestantism mm. or the whole country that continued to practice Roman Catholicism. You know, so that the nation has been identified along with uh, the physical aspect of the people there's been a lot of identification in religion, and that is gone now. You, you, you wrote also, the monarchy in Britain embodies both religion and the nation. The core of the coronation is a religious dedication, and talks about how the king, dressed in a simple shirt, will be anointed with holy oil, and in the private ritual will take the monarchical oath of service to God. Then you talk about how Few realize that a British monarchy is patterned on Jewish history. Even English kings, early English kings, even believed that they were descended from King David. They appreciated the revolutionary aspect of ancient Israel. Its monarch was not the supreme ruler, a status which invites tyranny and despotism, but was himself answerable to God, the one who is true king over all. This you know, going back to Jewish history is interesting because uh, a few years ago I read an article that showed that King George VI, who was the uh, father of Queen Elizabeth II, believed in what is known as British Israelism. He thought there was something to it. I think those were his exact words. He, he was writing to his brother in 1935, I think. Mm -hmm. He said, I really think there's something to this idea. And uh, that means the Queen must have been exposed to that idea as well. 
and probably Charles is too, that there may be a conviction uh, in some of the connection between the throne today and the throne of Israel almost 3,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, you even commented that the British coronation rite is modeled on the accession and the accession of King Solomon is described in the Book of Kings. Well, one thing to realize there is that for many British people, for most British people, I should say, uh, this would be the first exposure they've ever had to the Bible. I can believe that. I, when I was watching it, Melvin, I, I was absolutely shocked as to how they came out speaking about the Bible, not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. So, you know, with the... Uh, Rishi Sunan quoting from First Corinthians to me, I thought, "What?" <laughs> you know, it was wonderful to see that. It was wonderful to see people upholding, at least, uh, uh, not snubbing Christianity, speaking to the tradition that has always been there, and that was heartwarming to see. Yes, it was. Hopefully, it will continue, but uh, I doubt it because the country has veered away. It's not as as spiritual or as religious as it once was. Well, right now in the United States, uh, it's interesting. This Right now, this is a time of year when many commencement addresses are given. And there's one woman here that I spoke to last week who was to give the commencement address at the high school. And uh, she wanted to speak about um, certain values, but was not able to use biblical examples and so she says she's going to speak about the boy who had came with five stones to meet giants her point in, in this is that you're li you're writing a life's history uh, after graduation what's going to be chapter one what's going to be chapter two and that one of the chapters is facing the giants and you know she was not able <laughs> to use the example of of david and uh and and the story of David and Goliath. So she had to talk about a boy with five stones. So it's interesting what we have come to. It is, all in one lifetime. And so my question, or my wonderment is, what are we going to be facing here in the next years? When I went to college 50-some years ago, 56 years ago, I was... Uh, gave a speech one time that things can't get any worse, you know, talking about, you know, immorality. And I was laughed off the stage, you know, because it was just, uh, obviously things would get just a lot, a lot worse, and they have. And when you think that things just can't get any worse, something else comes up. And so the coronation in one sense was just a little light that shone of hope, although we know about how things are going to be working out. Things will have to really hit rock bottom. Uh, as far as people's behavior, uh, people's worldview, uh, people's respect for uh, divinity. One thing I will say is that uh, I think there's a lot of respect for Prince William. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's the oldest son of Charles, and he will be the heir unless something happens to him. Uh, and I think he's handling everything very well, and especially his wife who is just an ordinary person, mm -hmm. what would be known as a commoner. Uh, she also shows a lot of common sense. And uh, I think the people have warmed to her. So I think, I don't think the monarchy itself is in any danger. But I do think that the country 
is in danger because of turning away from God and also because of uh, constant weakening of its economy and the, and the increasing diversity makes the country weaker, not stronger. You're right about um, Prince William. I, I, he's a likable person. Uh, he has a, a look that, that is his mother's. You know, it's uh, to, to me, he, he represents the kindness and the generosity and the humanity that, that his mother did uh, in the works that she's done. Unfortunately, the spare, Prince Harry, has sullied the waters there uh, of the monarchy. But Prince William, if he carries on, will carry on a legacy that is positive. Yes, I believe so. I'll tell you a little story. I think it was in 1982. I'm not sure when exactly. But I was walking down a street in England, and suddenly all the church bells just broke into a constant peal of music. And they were announcing the birth of the new king, the boy born to be king, Prince William. And I feel, you know, I've known him <laughs> because that happened 40 years ago. You kind of follow somebody uh, of interest. <laughs> that, that That's very interesting. You know, there's certain things historically that have happened that way. You, you uh, attach yourself to them. Sometimes the music and the news of the time and that carries on with your life. Well, it's hard to believe it's been over 40 years. <laughs> Melvin, we're getting older. We're getting older. Right. One thing that should be said, I think, is that England is unique in having this coronation service. I don't think any other monarchy in Europe has as big a coronation. I, I hope it's retained. I, I believe it will be because there are always enough people who want it done again and again and so on. So we had the coronation 70 years ago, and now this one, the next one probably 20 years. Well, you think that it might not even be that long. King Charles is 74 or 75. Wish him well, but uh, Prince William is probably going to be much sooner than his uh, father was to the throne. Well, his father, remember, lived to 99, uh, and his mother was 96. So, you know, he could live a long time. Yeah. Uh, Camilla is older and uh, may go first. I don't know. Uh -huh. Well, there are certainly, with all the talk about the monarchy, it should continue on. When it really comes to push and shove, uh, it seems like the monarchy persists. There are so many royals watchers and there are royals editors. People watched every single detail in preparation for the coronation. It was just amazing as to all the news that uh, leading to the coronation it was like to the super bowl it was uh, every little detail was observed that's right yeah and there's been probably no other event as big except for maybe world soccer <laughs> but i don't think that even comes as close to the coronation as people have had and i i feel down deep as people watch this melvin i'm not british or english in fact i come from a Sl slavic background but I got welled up with emotion when I saw the events uh, of the funeral of his mother plus the coronation of King Charles with a certain sense of this is, this is for humanity. This represents humanity trying to find its place in the world and in the universe. I felt this kind of emotion well up with me when I was witnessing firsthand the 
first man stepping on the moon. I felt this is something that represents far more than just me as a person or an achievement of the United States, but this is something that is humanity. And I felt this about the uh, coronation, uh, about its ideals, not what it really is and all its problems and all the things that we could complain about, but just ideals of government done right, um, justice being imposed on the earth, uh, corrections to mistakes that society has made, whether it be slavery or, or any other things. But all of it has ideals that we want to see straightened out. Well, one thing I should add is this, that some of the criticism of the monarchy uh, has come from those who are opposed to how much money is spent on it. Uh, I mean, for example, there were 29,000 policemen on duty that day uh, for security reasons. And uh, a lot of other costs involved in all the different aspects of the coronation. People do not understand that the cost of the monarchy is taken care of by the revenue from the entrance to the royal palaces. So, you know, when I visited Buckingham Palace, my 10 pounds or whatever it was, uh, goes to the, the upkeep of the monarchy. And there's more than twice as much money raised in the royal palaces than is spent on the monarchy. So mm -hmm. the taxpayer is not, does not foot the bill. Well, that's a good thing to know that it's just not excess. Well, the only thing the only thing the taxpayer pays for is the security on the day, and twenty nine thousand policemen uh, would be a lot of money. But I'm sure it runs into the millions. Probably, in fact, I remember uh, Prince Harry's wedding. Uh, the security alone cost thirty five million dollars. Well, how much of that would have been spent anyway, as far as keeping? the policemen and keeping all those things in place. <clears throat> I'm sure that... Well, that's it. That's it. You don't know. You can't work it out down to the last detail. But the fact is, you know, a lot of money comes into England as a result of it being a monarchy. People go over to England to see, you know, Buckingham Palace, the changing of the guard, and some of the palaces. And I, I don't know how much is raised from that tourism, but... Uh, you know, the monarchy itself does not cost anywhere near that much. Mm -hmm. No, no. And I, I, I think that uh, when it comes to really the final question, do you want the monarchy to continue, uh, people will say that represents me, my nation, my history, and I want this not only as a reflection of me, but also something for my children to, uh, to, to be able to say that this is part of me rather than being a nation with no identity, that's part of its identity. Yes, that's true. Because one thing that is also a fact at this, at this point in time is that Britain is going through severe economic problems and a lot of people are going hungry. And if that continues, people could turn against the monarchy because they don't understand uh, where the money comes from. I, I feel that the one statement that probably affected me by all people, whether it was the prime minister or others commenting, was the monarch was not the supreme ruler. It's a status which normally invites tyranny and despotism in, in other countries, but that he himself was answerable to God, the one who was a true king overall. And that theme was repeated a number of times in the coronation, and that really struck me. Yes, and one thing that's interesting there is that France is a republic, 
and France has been having terrible problems the last few weeks, every night, riots in Paris. And, uh, you know, I remember a comment that the prime minister of France in the first decade of the 20th century made to the visiting King Edward VII from England. And he commented that if every monarch of France had been like uh, the British monarchy, France would still have a monarchy. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, it, you know, it's very corrupt, the country is. And uh, the contrast uh, is quite interesting. Yes, and in the history of, of France, the upkeep of Versailles, which was something like the half the national <laughs> budget, you know, it, it was just extremely excessive um, yes. between the haves and have-nots. For that matter, uh, other countries like even the Russia, the Romanovs, and the upkeep of the palaces was just really uh, excessive. And even in modern times, you know, we see uh, certain rulers that just have no regard at all for what things cost. They just care about themselves, mm -hmm. enriching themselves and their close buddies. And, and um, that, that's got to go. That's true. Well, Melvin, it's been really great having you on the podcast today. I really feel greatly enriched by, by the things that you have to say. Thank you. I look forward to being here again. Okay, good. Well, we've done, we've done the Royals tour this last uh, year, and uh, I appreciate your comments, and you're always welcome on this podcast. Thank you. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Podbean, which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at vcubic at gmail.com, v-k-u-b-i-k at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more. <laughs>